Ah, welcome, weary travelers, to the great big universe of XS. Due to stop and go conditions, please remember to maintain your distance from the car ahead. All right, you junior space rangers, listen up. Green Squadron will retrieve the power cells, while the rest of you concentrate on those robots. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 442, and I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts on Facebook, events, books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So as Walt Disney World evolves over time, we lose and miss so many things that have been lost along the way. So let's get a little bit nostalgic this week and talk about some things in Walt Disney World other than attractions that may be extinct, but we wish we could bring back. Some you may remember and some you may have never even heard of before. And there's one near the end that I think sparks some interesting discussion and some armchair imagineering. Of course, I'm going to ask what you'd like to bring back as well. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Hong Kong Disneyland prize package. Then I'll have more information about upcoming events and meets of the month in Walt Disney World. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. I'm an optimist. Shocker, I know. But I always have been. I always will be. And an optimist, not just in that I look on the positive side of things in everyday life, but an optimist about the future in my personal life and in my business, and yes, in terms of Disney as well. And for so many reasons, Disney has continued to earn my trust and my respect and my faith in what they are doing. And for that and a lot of other reasons, I'm an optimist an optimist about what is to come in the Disney parks as well. And you'll hear year after year after year on the show as we look to the year ahead that the things that excite me most about Disney are the things that we haven't heard about as yet. But I'm also a nostalgic and I love and miss so many things in and about Walt Disney World that maybe remind me of my childhood or going with my parents or even things that I've enjoyed as I've attempted to grow to be an adult. But I know that as things grow and change and evolve, we often lose some of those things along the way. And so this week, I want to share with you some of those things in Walt Disney World other than attractions that I wish we could bring back. And speaking of bringing back, I am bringing back to the show and this virtual table that I invite you to be a part of is a man who who loves the past as much as he dreams of the future. No, it's not H.G. Wells or Dr. Emmett Brown. He is, of course, Mr. Ryan P. Wilson of Main Street Gazette fame. Welcome back, brother. 
And where we're going, we don't really need roads. So we're... <laughs> you know, a, uh, a very wise man once said, and I quote, uh, I love the nostalgic myself, and I hope that we never lose some of the things of the past. And that wise man, of course, was Walt Disney. And I think this is, it's neat that we sort of go down this road. Look, we, we've talked, obviously, ad nauseum about extinct attractions before, right? We've done extinct yeah. restaurants of Walt Disney World back on show 370. We've done extinct opening day attractions that we wish were still at Walt Disney World back on show 280. But even in our conversation, um, as we're you know just talking among friends, we talk about some of those things that we lament and we miss, uh, you know, from Walt Disney World's days gone by in the parks and around the resort. We we do, and it's always it is it's that very similar to Walt Disney's mentality of one foot in the past and one foot in the future, and standing in today, kind of looking at. What do you have? What do you, what do you miss? What will you carry with you? And how will that inform kind of where you go tomorrow? And and it is you know even in all these shows we talk about the past and we talk about things that have happened. We talk about well what will we do going forward? What will we do in the future? So it's we always had those conversations of, of where we are and how it affects time and place. And uh, but it's always fun looking back. Yeah, and I think you're <clears throat> excuse me very much like me and a lot of people who might be listening who. You know, sometimes when little things, when seemingly little things go away, we get very upset, right? Certainly yeah. when attractions close, especially now with the internet and Twitter, you know, people can collectively lose their minds publicly. But there's a lot of times that something small might go away, and I'm sure we'll hit on some of those things that really kind of mean a lot to us, either because we enjoy it every time we go or we, like me, remember experiencing or enjoying in my case, probably tasting some of those things in the past. Definitely. And, and, and there are those pieces that we go back to time and again to see, to, to stand where we, where we made a memory or something that has meaning to us. And it may not have meaning to anyone else as much as it does to us, but we go back and we see it again. And, and then when we, if we lose that piece, it's now we are the sole proprietors kind of of its, of its memory and of keeping it going forward. So I, I think you're right. I think it is that, that chance to take, you know, a step back and nod, to, give a nod to them, and think about what's coming up ahead. Yeah, and and that's you know to your point, one of the things that's that's wonderful about now when things go away, we have a, a digital legacy, right? There, there's photos mm-hmm. and there's podcasts and there's videos, and Disney themselves has their own archives that they they have over the last few years begun to share with us. But some of the things I think on our lists, you know, I know that you and I again we love looking back. Sometimes it's hard to find. Uh, photos of them, certainly videos of some yeah. of these things, especially from the early 70s. And, you know, we're sort of piecemealing our memories together, cobbled from, you know, just what we th- remember or, or maybe talking to our parents or maybe yep. uh, an old, you know, Super 8 movie that's in our mom's basement somewhere. Yeah, and, it, and it's crazy. That, you know, at some point, somebody's going to reference us when we are long gone because we have this digital record that we've created for ourselves. But prior to that, it is... A lot of going, yes, I knew somebody who was here, there, and they have this photo. Or we search through eBay for old photos around a typical subject. And we tr- we try- we're trying to cobble together the history as best we can on our own. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, you know, that you say that about now us sort of leaving a legacy for the, the, the people that will follow us. And I know some of these things, too, even on my list, are things that 
you say, well, you know, I remember, I, I remember seeing this, man. I remember experiencing this. And other people say, you're crazy, Lou. Such a thing never really existed. Um, and that's why sometimes trying to find, you know, physical evidence of it. Now, I'll talk about one of those things as I get to the end of my list. One of the things I regret never getting at some point and, and I've never have yet to ever see. But maybe we should sort of just go land by land. And I know it's going to be difficult for us not to throw an attraction in here or there because when we think about extinct Walt Disney World, usually that's what comes up. You know, are those all the rides we could bring back? But we're really going to talk about everything but the attractions to a certain degree and we can define attraction however it may be so it could be a shop a restaurant excuse me a food item a piece of merchandise a souvenir um if it's a show or parade wherever it may be so i I want you to go first because i think uh, i'm I'm really curious and i understand that there's no um you know there's no rank and order in the list no, it's, it was completely – like when I started putting together a list, it was completely like, what do I talk about all the time that it gets my wife's nerves that I can throw <laughs> on this list? Um, I think for me one of the things when I was a kid and, – and when I was a kid, they were the, they were the film – it kind of encompasses the whole of the Magic Kingdom. But they were the film stands that were the, the, old, the old ticket booths. And they were just – it was – for one, film nowadays, no one needs it. So you have the places – at the corner of of Fantasyland, you had the place. You, know, you had the Crow's Nest at Adventureland. They were always there. They were just these little places you could get information, you could get film. But that was so much a hallmark of delineating where you were in a park that you that it was a, a cornerstone for each land that you could go visit. And I remember those being just just those hallmarks that kind of tied the whole thing together. Yeah, and it's funny because I actually had the ticket books <laughs> themselves. There you go, see? Um, right, I had that on my list, you know, near the very end because I'm like, wow, I, I do miss them for sentimental reasons, yeah. but then I'm like, wow, I wonder how ticket books, you know, we're talking about things that we wish we could actually bring back. So while there's certain things I miss, I don't know that I would necessarily bring them back, and I'm wondering, wow, would I bring back ticket books? You know, there's a, a novelty, there's, um, there's a collectability, there's a lot of, uh, potential advantages to having ticket books and disadvantages. Now you swipe your magic band and you go on your app. But uh, there was not something neat about having those A through E ticket books. And like you said, going, uh, dude, I remember the kiosk yeah. in front of or across from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is across yep. where, very close to where, uh, you know, sort of Pooh's tree currently sits. Um, but going, you know, to my dad and going, come on, can we just buy one more e-ticket ride just to go and do the subs one more time? Yeah, and I can remember going over there and then and, you know, besides ticket, I, I could get the slides. You know, that's where you got the slides for everyone who, you know, now we didn't need them, but you could get them, you could take them home. And those were your, you know, those are the things you could project and tell everyone about your trip and about these attractions because you were re- reserving your film for really great family portraits. And it, it was just one of those places you could, you could go and you could grab that. And, and that's one of the ones that I really remember, I, you know, I... And, and the other one was in Tomorrowland now where it's you – know, right, right as you come in, right before you get to the, the overarch, you know, the people mover. And, but I can remember going up there and saying, oh, I need you know, one tin film for my camera and getting that. And, yeah. Dude, um, I, I almost put the GAF camera center on, on my list. <laughs> but, but you're right. Looking at it now, what would it be? We, put, we would be putting credits on our Magic Band. Would there even be a ticket booklet to collect? You know, we get to that point where you start thinking – is this for nostalgia purposes only or is there an actual reason that we should have it? Yeah, and that's why I couldn't put the I, I couldn't put the, the, the ticket, ticket yeah. 
Yeah, and I and I couldn't put the GAF Camera Center on there, right? Do I remember it? Do I think it's fun to talk about kids? You used to have to walk in there and buy film and these little cubes that had flash yep. bulbs on them, and you used it four times and then threw it away and then sent your film in, and two weeks later you got it back to see just how good or, in my case, awful how those your fra- photos right, really How blurry. overexposed and blurry those photos were. <laughs> it was like a really bad Instagram filter without trying to have a bad Instagram filter. <laughs> Yeah, you got you got to double tap that and then slide it a little bit to, to <laughs> fix it. Um, yeah, so for me, you know, when I was thinking about Magic Kingdom, I tried to go uh, mentally land by land and walking through, and I, I stopped very quickly on Main Street USA, and and maybe I'll sort of combine these two because they were so. For me, they were so closely tied together geographically, physically, they were very tied together. But the House of Magic and the Penny Arcade, I miss them for many reasons, many personal reasons. I've told the story about going with my dad, but I miss them for this nostalgia. And I think that they would bring something back to Main Street USA. They would bring about that, the charming little shop that it doesn't really have anymore right think about what main street usa used to look like and all the different stores and the wonderland of wax and the card shop and the kids clothing section and the the woman's clothing store having the that that simple pleasure of you know the inexpensive magic trick that the magician could show your kid and then you can take home and practice with your kid or going into the penny arcade and looking at those old mutoscopes right and the old uh, the, remember the the pian orchestra yeah. Yep. From the turn of the century, that is what Main Street USA is very much all about. So I think those are that they're novel and they're unique, um, and I think it's something that I would actually like to see back. As much as I love the shopping on Main Street, I would love to see those back on Main Street USA. No, and I had both of those as well. But I think you hit it on the head with when you're talking about unique and charming. And that's what they were. And I can remember going into the the House of Magic, and this is where my love of magic came from. And we have a very good friend who's an excellent magician, and I never got to that level. But at some point in my childhood, oh, I thought for sure I could be a magician <laughs> because I could. I had mastered like three tricks off of you know, the the two dollar shelf in the <laughs> store in there, and and but I was convinced I could do it. And, and that was something that you know, my parents never told me that I couldn't do it. And I so I think that juxtaposition of who I was as a child, how much I loved the magic as a child. You know, even now, I go and visit the facade at Disney Hollywood Studios on Streets of America just to pay my respects to the, to the House of Magic. And yeah, I would absolutely love to have that back. And I think it does have a place still when you have the hot dog stand on the corner and you have you know, the, the candy shop on the corner. You know, give us something tangible that you can take away that you're not just going to eat and be done with or you know, the same shop and the same souvenirs that you have everywhere else. That that uniqueness back to the to the turn of the century Main Street. I, I mean, look, don't don't uh, minimize the importance of eating something as well. But... I have plenty of food. <laughs> I have plenty of food on this list. But look, the the the, the magic shop still exists at Disneyland, and right. it's it's small, and it, and it is all those things, right? It's quaint and it's charming, and it's a throwback, I think, to the past. You know, is it probably the greatest revenue generator? Absolutely not. Is it something that I think? kids in 2016 and beyond will still think about and remember as a, a childhood memory of going with their parents? Absolutely so. Yeah, I think it's one of those things when when we lost it in Walt Disney World, you know, there wasn't this outcry because there wasn't the, the technology we have nowadays. I think if Disneyland were to lose it today, the, you know, the, the internet would be on fire. 
<laughs> no. Twitter? Come on, man. <laughs> no. Um, anything else in, in Magic Kingdom specifically? Oh, there was a couple of things. For me, the one food item that if I could bring back a food item in, May, in Magic Kingdom Come was on, Aunt Polly's. I, oh. The cold fried chicken on Tonsor's Island, in a heartbeat, I would love to go back and do that again. Wow. I Here I was. I thought you were – I was sure that sandwiches were on your list. They're on my list someplace else. <laughs> All right. Sorry. I, I completely – on the list. Don't worry. The sandwiches did not, did not lose the list. But in the Magic Kingdom, if there's one food item, it's that – I don't know what it was. I loved cold fried chicken as a kid and to be able to go over there and sit almost like a picnic on the dock, watch the boats go by, listen to the wolves of the Haunted Mansion, watch the trains – that, that was a happy place for me, and I would love to go back and do it again. You know, it's interesting, as we're recording this in 2016, uh, Aunt Polly's is opening seasonally, not serving the same types of items. They serve ice cream sandwiches and some of the little grab-and-go things. But it's really interesting to see how many people love the fact that it is back or coming back or the, or its doors are open again. And I think it's almost, to a certain degree, less about the specific food items than it is the unique vistas that you get and the unique dining experience that you have there of, of grabbing something, uh, you know, taking the raft to the island, walking over there, and then sitting on that open-air gazebo and, and watching the riverboat go by. And like you said, the haunted mansion off in the distance. And sometimes, if you time it right, a parade or, or whatever. Uh, I think that's why, again, that, that scent. And interesting, we're, we're talking about these. This, uh, I'm a big proponent of the simple pleasures in Walt Disney World. This, and I think Aunt Polly's, very much was and is and hopefully will continue to be one of those simple pleasures that we enjoy. I, I hope so, yeah. And, and as long as it's been there, I keep thinking, I keep having that hope, okay, we're going to come back. It's going to be a natural place, even if it is only during like spring break, Christmas, and the high summer times. But as long as people are still getting some kind of experience from Aunt Polly's, that makes me completely happy. So as I was going through my list, um, man, I don't, I, you know, I have a couple more things. Obviously, when I think of nostalgia, you know, my, my mind instantly turns to Magic Kingdom. But the next thing that popped up um, just in terms of, of how they, um, you know, hit my mind in terms of when I was making my list was shockingly enough, not a food item, um, but a person, a, a character, as it were. Mm-hmm. And it's Pegleg Pete. <laughs> and if you remember, if you're young enough to remember, uh, over the archway at the entrance to Pirates of the Caribbean, yep. there used to be a barker bird there that would, it was an animatronic bird, an animatronic parrot that would um, sort of beckon people to come into the fort. And he had this great little spiel and he sang part of the song and, and it was very sort of kitschy and campy and, and punny. You know, he was singing, yo-ho, yo-ho, a parrot's life for me. And he would whistle and he would talk about, you know, I remember uh, salty old pirates, salty old pirates, <laughs> right? And he would sort of quote lines from the song. These two, mateys. You come seek an adventure in salty old pirates, eh? <whistles> salty old pirates, salty old pirates. This be the place, this be the place. Chart the course through the arches, mateys. It be a short march through the old fortress. The to I could hear it in my mind and remember it so vividly as a kid, not just watching him and again trying to use my little you know camera to get a picture of him, but 
the the, the shaved belly and the anchor yep. tattoo on his yep. chest. Uh, okay, say for me it was that tattoo. Like that was what drew me in. Like I was like, who shaved the poor bird <laughs> who has these bright, gorgeous green feathers and put an anchor tattoo right on his belly? And that was always what drew me in. Like I was like, okay. This may be pirates, but this is going to be fun. Yeah, and he had a peg leg. I mean, literally yep. had a peg leg. And yep. if you're saying, hey, I've seen that bird. I, I recognize that bird. He was he was taken out in, um, in 2006 as part of the refurbishment, and he was brought over to the World of Disney store in downtown Disney. I haven't been in a while. I'm not sure if he is still there or not, but I very much miss him in Adventureland, when I think back, you know, to going as a kid, he was one of the things that instantly came to top of mind. And, and I could hear that 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 spiel, that narration about, you know, this being the place, this being the place, charter courts through the arches, matey. Um, I could probably almost do it, you know, simply from memory. And I, I miss that little uh, you know, the, the, the little Barker bird there. And there used to be other Barker. We may, wow, maybe we'll do a show about our top 10 <laughs> Barker bird type top things, right? Birds. Hoot top Gibson two. and the Tiki birds, right? They all had a little yeah. Barker bird outside. Yeah, but, they, uh, yeah, they did to, to, to bring the people in. And, and, and I do, I, I remember that so vividly. And it was one of those things that, that made Adventureland. Like that's what you would go into Adventureland and, and that would be the sound you would hear is these Barker birds above, every, above almost all the other sounds. You could hear them calling to you to come in. And, the, you know, for an animatronics, they are so lifelike. And it just – you're like, yes, okay, I'm coming to see this this pirate bird who's going to tell me a tale. <laughs> Peg-legged Pete, you uh, you are very much missed in uh, in Adventureland. So yes. uh, anything else for you in Magic Kingdom? Oh, let's see. You know, there's always – there's the little things if <laughs> that – the simple things that you miss. Like I miss, you know, the, the Friar's Nook has been there forever, but I miss the old name of Gurgi's Munchies and <laughs> Crunchies or, you know, the Adventureland Veranda is back now in, different, in a different light. But it's, you know, that I miss for so long. But I think I, I think those are the kind of the big pieces and like the other pieces are just little pieces that I'm, that I'm grabbing at going, oh, and I remember this and I remember this, but – yeah, I think the only other thing that I would put in um, in there, I wanted to say Tiana Shobo Jubilee, but we'll consider it an attraction. But it really was a, another shop or shops plural. And as much as I love the old Christmas shop, um, I, I would love to bring back. The I knew trio. this would be on here somewhere. Yeah, man, I'm, I couldn't help it. Um, there is something about Johnny Tremaine's Silversmith Shop, Madame Laf- Lafayette's Perfumerie. And the Old World Antique Shop that just had, again, I don't know what the revenue stream might have been versus the old Christmas shop. I I don't care, right? Because (laughs) I remember walking into, and my parents had an antique business for for decades, for years. I traveled the country going to antique shops. But the Old World Antique Shop had that same smell. It smelled like your grandmother's attic. It smelled like an old antique shop. And I love the fact that every time you went in there, there were unique and different items, whether it was a small piece of jewelry or silver to a large chest of drawers or, or dining room set. And I remember my I remember the lace um, on the windows. I don't know why that sticks with me, but I remember my parents going in there and my mom and dad talking to them about and some stuff was reproductions a lot of it was uh were actual you know one of a kind and, and originals um, and i've said over and over again that the uh the the perfume the, the the custom perfume bottle from the perfumery is still one of my holy grails of collectibles 
I'll tell you this. I keep every eye I have peeled. I'm like, I have searches out there for it. Like, one of these days, somebody's going to find one for you because <laughs> it, it exists. We all know it exists. Right, right. Somebody will find it. <laughs> and, I'm, and I think that's why I'm saying, because I will tell you that um, going back to the House of Magic, and I'm going to try and not get choked up when I tell the story again, I talked about the little two-inch King Tut mummy magnet thing that you, if you put the magnet in the right way, you could make this King Tut levitate out yeah. of the, the coffin. Well, somebody found one in an original box and sent it to me. And she, that's cool. That's it's on my, it's, cool. it's, it's, it's on the shelves behind my desk. And dude, I cried when I saw oh, it. I, I bet. Not just because of the gesture, but because yeah. of what it reminded me of. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's amazing. And, and you know, Liberty Square had so many facets. You, know, you had Ichabods, which had all the kind of the gag haunted mansion pieces, where you could have like the the ghost dog, you know, leash that you could walk the dog, and uh, you had the you know the perfumery. It was again, it goes back to the, those unique offerings that you could get. The puzzle boxes. Oh, oh dude, I have the puzzle box. I have a puzzle box. I have a, I have I have a puzzle box. Have a puzzle box around now, kids. Kids would still eat that up. Oh, yeah. My kids try and get their grubby little hands on it all the time, and I refuse to let them touch it. <laughs> Mine's on a low shelf because my wife doesn't care about it, and I don't have any grubby hands on it yet. So. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I want to move over to Epcot, and I'm really, really curious to hear, again, save attractions. Right? We, we've talked about the yeah. attractions and one that we would bring back. But what other than attractions would you love not just to visit again, but would actually want to bring back, as it were, you know, the day that it opened or the day that it closed? Yeah, this is this is one of those things where I start going, okay, is it an attraction? Is it, you know, how do I get imagination back in the way I remember Journey to Imagination? And uh, so for me, it's it's very much that Peg Lake Pete. It's the dream finder. I would, mm-hmm. very, you know, in the walk around character, the character of he brought such life to Epcot Center and, and Epcot that I would, I, 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 you know, he's been in a comic book in the past, you know, they've done two iterations of the comic book in the past couple of years, and he very clearly has a deep following. He very clearly has a lot of people who love him, and I would just love to see him back in Epcot. Yeah, and, you know, a, a long, long time ago, um, you know, somebody had said, you know, Dreamfinder is dead, which is a way that I had never uh, heard a, a character referred to. Um, we obviously see that, like you said, that that Dreamfinder is is not dead, and he is still uh, certainly very much loved and missed. And I I wonder uh, what the future, what the potential uh, of Dreamfinder could be, um, and and whether or not Dreamfinder might someday make a um, make a return. But when I went to Epcot. I went to two places, and 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 I don't know. Maybe this this doesn't count in by your definition of attractions. But the first thing I thought of was the Tapestry of Nations slash Tapestry of Dreams parade in World Showcase. I think we're good. I think we're I think we're fair there. All right, the judges the judges give me an okay. Survey <laughs> says I don't get an X. Um, it was it was something that was created for yeah. the Millennium Celebration. Again, a Millennium you know a, a year long celebration at Walt Disney World lasts you know anywhere from fourteen to eighteen months, but it was uh, you know it was years in the making, and and I loved the first of all I loved the music that they had for it, but I remember being on the promenade and, and seeing this sage of time and the dream seekers and these giant butterfly 
um, these very tall, very free-flowing butterfly nets and and the different floats and and the uh and the clock that was in there and, and i love that parade and i miss the fact and maybe I, I wanted to make sure i had this on the list because i miss and would love to bring back a parade in world showcase i i am right there with you and and i i actually teetered on this one because i had i had that in there as well but for me it was uh, skaleidoscope where you had the dragon boats and yeah. the hang gliders and all the color that was happening over the lagoon and you could see it from everywhere in, at once and it, it was just incredible like the the use of colors and how bright and vivid and the daytime fireworks in epcot and it just brought a sense of life to the park and so for me that was you know yeah i i think it's that same mentality of i'd love to see something back in world showcase bringing entertainment back bringing you know something from life back in between all the shops and restaurants and attractions back there. And the other thing that I thought of instantly is, and I think now more than ever, because I think what replaced it is, is has been for a long time trying to define itself and what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I dig the idea and the intent and the mission of interventions, but man, bring back Communicore tomorrow and I'm set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you go back to show number 20, like, we're talking 2007. We did a, a detailed DSI of what Communicore was because it really was meant to be sort of the, the you know, the Main Street USA, as it were, yeah. of Epcot. It was supposed to be the community core. That's what it, 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 it stood right. for. And as a kid who was a complete, was, still am, a complete and utter nerd at heart, both sides had interactive, I mean, truly yeah. interactive technology-based exhibits in it. And whether it was the Epcot Outreach Center or the Computer Center or the Computer Coaster or the Astuter Computer Review, it was all future technology that wasn't, um, it was more based in reality than it was in fantasy. These are things that we were going to see in the future. And now in 2016, we've seen a lot of the things that they talked about um, certainly come and, and obviously be, you know, um, exceeded. Absolutely. You missed my favorite part. For me, it was Expo Robotics. These robotic arms that were spinning tops on the edge of samurai swords, across wires. I, I was sitting here, I was like, I couldn't even understand the, the science in, that would go into <laughs> making that work. But it was, it would, I would run in there at a sprint to see these robots do, these, do their thing because I, I just couldn't understand how it would happen. And I wanted to know how it worked. And I remember the Astuter Computer Review, not just because of Ken Jennings and his awesome white suit, but <laughs> but Io. I, you know, I remember um, well after the sort of backstage magic and Io. But they had you. You really sort of got a chance to look down through the glass at yep. into what was this giant computer core, right? The the, the heart yep. and the brains of what appeared to be Epcot with these giant mainframe computers and in an era of when personal computing was really just starting to take off and and uh, as a kid who spent many many lonely weekends in front of a computer as a kid I, I was fascinated by that and and I wanted to learn more and I was trying to, I remember trying to look at the screens and see what was on there and then you'd go to another section and be able to use the video phone to make dining reservations like that was just you know, it was Epcot and that Communicore embodied what Epcot was supposed to be, which is this hands on, you know, prototype community of tomorrow. Absolutely. And you're right. The world key that were everywhere 
throughout throughout there came throughout Epcot Center that came back into that hub and you could you could go watch videos about attractions you could make dining reservations where you were quite literally face to face with the person who you know which at the time we thought that was the coolest thing ever and you know now we can do it on our on our phones and our hands but at the time we didn't know we were going to have that and it was it was it embodied everything from every pavilion in Future World and gave us this sense of you know the future for all of us is going to be amazing. And I think for me, part of the the reason why I liked Backstage Magic and the Astuto Computer Review was, do you remember how they used that um, that that sort of Pepper's Ghost effect to show yep. how audio animatronics figures were were being programmed? They they that's when the, that was sort of the for me as somebody who was fascinated with with how this place worked. Right, that's why yeah. I, I'm sitting here today is because as a kid, as much as I loved what I saw on stage, I was so curious about. How did they make this city run 24-7? What was the engineering and the mechanics behind this, this incredible place? And that was the first sort of peek behind the curtain in my child's eyes of yeah. this is what DAX, this is what the digital animation control system, this is what it looks like. This is how it works. This is how we make these animatronic figures come to life and I remember being the wide-eyed kid probably with my face pressed up against the glass uh, just fascinated in that and that Disney was giving us a little peek behind the curtain to, to see how it all worked yeah you're absolutely right and you, you know for me for between the computer review and these robots and I was going home with you know my t- many lonely <laughs> weekends like you said with my technique Legos and I was building robots and I was building these things and saying how does this work and my parents were convinced like you know, we, we're set we have an engineer for for a son <laughs> he's going to take care of this um, but it was it was that it is it's it, it's where we are today it's that we got that one peek behind the behind the curtain you know pay no attention no we paid attention and we wanted to see more and we kept digging and and it it, it has led I think both of us to where we are today. And the one thing also that I wish that I could bring back that I never got to see, and I remember begging and asking and and trying everything I possibly could for as long as it was there, was I don't know if you ever, well, you you, you are an educator, right? So maybe you did, Mm -hmm. but there was where the art of Disney is now, uh, Mm -hmm. as you pass Spaceship Earth on the right-hand side, when you enter the art of Disney store, you'll see that when right on the left-hand side, there's a staircase that's yep. roped off, that goes to a second level. And at one point, that was the Epcot Outreach Center, which was a place where teachers and educators could go and have access to reference... Oh, God, I'm so excited. They had access <laughs> to reference materials and and documents and sheets and handouts and giveaways yeah. all about what made Walt Disney World tick. And it was not open to guests. And I remember you know, trying desperately any way I could to get up there and just see uh, see what was there. Unfortunately, I never got to, and I don't know anybody who ever has, or, uh, I mean, I have one somewhere in my boxes of archives in the garage. I do have one of the handouts from the Epcot Outreach Center, but I, I would love to bring it back, and I would love teachers to have access to those resources too. Yeah, and I've made that plea a couple of times because by the time I, I got into education, it had already kind of shuttered and I couldn't – and there was really nothing left there. you know. And I've even now, I was like, I will hold the archives for that if you need me to. Like I don't care that it's outdated <laughs> material. I don't care if I need the old reel-to-reel you know, projector f- film. But it, it was. It was one of those areas I loved and I love the idea that 
there are there were all these resources for for teachers and educators of of all sorts to just take home with them to take back to their classrooms. And I can remember even being a child because I grew up in in Central Florida and I somehow moved away for some reason. But <laughs> I can remember going on field trips and our teachers would go in and they would get materials and that was how we would spend our day is we would be touring Epcot with these information that they had gathered and do these pieces as we went. So it was almost you know it wasn't really necessarily a day you know playing on the attractions. It was a day spent educating yourself about what was going on in Epcot. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I would love to. Uh, I would. I would love to see actually what is there now. What does that second floor actually look like? But it's where they. It's where they keep all of Will Gay's other paintings. They- <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you move over to, I, I in my notes I call I just wrote MGM. I knew, I couldn't even call it Disney's Hollywood Studios. But if you move over to the studios, and I think this might. I'm curious to see if this gets more difficult as we move from park to park, and the parks get more more you know, newer and not have as long yeah. of a, a legacy and history behind them. But what was the first thing that you thought of when you thought of the studios? Something I never got to do with it as, because I, I, hit, I hit the age just wrong, but it was the catwalk bar. Curse you, Ryan Wilson. That's why <laughs> I love you so much. I would love to just, just to get, you know, and I know now that it, that, you know, you can't, there's really not a whole lot to see there except for the, the child, you know, the toddlers playing around with their, uh, you know, doing their, their Mickey Mouse Muska. <laughs> but I, I would love to, you know, have a place like that now to go up to a second level to oversee, you know, whether it's film sets or props or whatever they would want to, they would want to fill the space with, but have that kind of experience again of, you know, this is a place where, you know, where we can go. It's kind of tucked away. You had to kind of know about it before you could get there. But yeah, I would any day. Yeah, and I think we've talked about the catwalk bar on yeah. one of our studios episodes. Maybe the maybe somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. Yeah, I think when we did like a show about the anniversary of the studios, we mm-hmm. talked about the the catwalk bar, which was over a. Re- we can might as well throw this into the soundstage restaurant, yep. which was downstairs again, where the uh, the sort of Playhouse Disney and Baron the Big Blue House was. Um, it was a, a themed restaurant that would change the theme every so often based on stuff. Um, uh, it was the Bette Midler movie, and then it was Aladdin, and Aladdin. then it was uh, Pocahontas, I think. But upstairs there, on the catwalk, on this very large catwalk, was a bar that you could actually look over the railing down onto the restaurant. And the thing that I remember about this was it had a very... Um, it almost had a feel like uh, some place that you really would find on sort of a backlot, right? The the, the yeah. ceilings were exposed. There was it was a mishmash of different types of very um, very basic types of furniture, right? Like metal chairs that you'd find just sort of at, at maybe an employee cafeteria. And I remember. Uh, like dozens of different lamps and chandeliers as if they sort of took whatever they could and just threw it up there and hung up there. And it's where, you know, the actors or the crew would sort of go and be able to to look down. And if you go to the Hollywood Brown Derby and go to the restrooms, you'll see that there's an elevator and once again, a roped off set of stairs there. Take neither of them. Uh, that is where and how you would access the catwalk bar, which, like you said, from what I understand, is still there, uh, maybe... I've heard it's being used for storage. I've heard a lot of different uses for it, but uh, it is unfortunately no longer accessible. Yeah, and, and you know, and with what with what is taking place and what the soundstage restaurant was now, you wouldn't really want 
Wow. You wouldn't want parents <laughs> up there watching the kids like, yep, that's mine down over there. We're fine. Um, but but it was. It, it's the idea of the place of this is where the, the stars would go and hang out in between takes and you know, very much almost a Backlot Express kind of a feel to it where all the pieces are just jumbled and put together and you know, it had a little neon sign that you know that just in you know, almost in cursive writing said, you know, uh, uh, catwalk bar and it just had that kind of like that, that almost forgotten kind of thing, you know, a storage space to it. And But I think a place like that would do great still in the studios. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, the studios is always undergoing um, massive change. I mean, really, for the first yeah. time, changing its its entire definition. And and I think that is the other thing to a certain degree. And look, I nobody's more excited for, for the Star Wars experience and Toy Story Land. And, and I love what they've done on Pixar Place. However... If there's something I could bring back, something extinct that I could bring back to the studios, it would be the studios, right? Yeah. I, I mentioned before about getting that sense of peeking behind the curtain at Epcot when I looked down and saw the DAC system. Well, that's what the studios were. You know, when you went mm-hmm. to the studios, Ryan, we, again, we've talked, I know we've talked about this before, but because they were filming there, right? Because there was yeah. a chance you'd see a celebrity there, because you could walk through certain attractions and see artists working on, uh, you know, film cells, or you could see customers working on, you know, outfits, or you could see them working on sets and props. You really got a sense that this was a real working studio because that's exactly what yeah. it was. And unfortunately, we know they sort of had to, for, for out of reasons of necessity, get away from the studios being a studio. Yeah, you lost that sense of, Liveliness, where you didn't know who was going to be coming to do their handprints that day. You know what celebrity? You didn't know what film they were going to be working on that you could see. It was it was a one giant peek behind the curtain, and for reasons of necessity and for reasons of you know space, that it's gone in a different direction. And and I'm really excited to see what it says, but it it does seem to have lost sense of that sense of life that it had. So I'm hopeful to see what what the next incarnation is. Of, of that life that it's going to have when, when all the, this is said and done with the new expansion. And, and look, I, I get it. You know, I also understand that that guests' interests and what we as guests mm-hmm. are looking for change, right? So when, when the studios opened, so many of the attractions were based in that, right? Monster Sound right. Show, uh, ABC Sound Studio. A lot of those shows were making you feel as though you were either watching a show in production or you were able to be part of a show in production. Maybe now with what is accessible on TV and reality shows and the internet, maybe we don't need that as much, right? Because we are, you know, we as consumers are now becoming content creators. We don't, we don't, have to, we don't need a break on TV anymore if we want to pop up our own YouTube channel or go live on Facebook, whatever it may be. So maybe... The, the, the guest satisfiers, what the guest interests were, necessitated the change in the theming and the mission and the story of the studios to give guests much more interactive type experiences that were not based on the creation of movies and TV shows. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know now you can look at you know, back then there weren't Blu-rays, there weren't DVDs. You didn't have the bonus features telling you how the sound was created for this or how they did the the filming of that. And you know now with it, 
as we do create our own content, it is moving more towards, well, how do we put them, immerse them in a story that they haven't been in before, or that they don't know how to, you know, let's, let's take them to the Star Wars Cantina and have patrons walking around that, that you wouldn't be able to create on your own. So it is that, that evolution of, of what the studio is and will be. So I am, I am very, very excited to see what happens next. Oh, I am as well. <laughs> that being said, one last, it's a little thing, again, because I'm not normally a, a parade guy. There are, there are very few parades other than maybe like Paint the Night and Disneyland, which really just hit home with me. And that parade yeah. is spectacular. And obviously, but for nostalgic reasons, uh, the electrical uh, parade in, in Magic Kingdom. But one thing that, that studios had that I loved were the different themed parades, right? They had parades to celebrate the releases of a lot of different films, Aladdin, Hercules, Mulan, Toy Story. Um, There was a a home improvement parade, like a Father's Day home improvement parade, but they were all very different. They tied in the music, so if if it was a couple of years in between your visits, you don't, maybe you didn't know what kind of parade that you got, and you got a new, uh, you know, new floats and new music. So uh, I did miss the studios being able to rotate their parades relatively frequently. Yeah, and they did. They kept – it was truly one of the fresher parades that you could find would be what was happening at the studios because it was always tied to what what was the feature they were promoting because they were the studio. They were promoting what was next. They were promoting what was out now. And so they kept it going nonstop and you know, even to – you, just recently, we had Frozen, for, you know, parade going through. So they 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 still keep that up, but they they've gone away from the big grand parades to the smaller things now. But uh, definitely something that that's missing that part. Was there anything else for you over at the studios that you? Um, that you yes, missed? I had one. I had one more, and I and I debated this because it, it was kind of an attraction. It was kind of a shop, but I missed the 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 Acme Studios where they had. The gag boxes oh, yeah. with the sound. You had the uh, the dip mobile for photo ops. You know, th- there was it was just there was this life that it brought to it, and it, you know, and with it more Roger Rabbit, more Jessica Rabbit. You know, all these pieces that were that were so big when that park opened. I miss I miss those pieces, and I miss that you know, like just the little the little pieces like that, like the boxes where you would open it and be a sound effect or it'd be a gust of air because it was a tornado in a box and. Those those visceral pieces that you could get from it. So the Acme Studios, I miss. You know, you just reminded me of. Do you remember the potion? <laughs> so this is really funny. So you remember Sounds Dangerous, right, with yes. Drew Carey, and then the yep. post show allowed you to go and sort of be a foley artist, but you'd go yes. into some of the rooms and put the headphones on because you could hear binaural audio in these headphones and it was like this is amazing it's like it's swirling all around me and now you they would would dim the lights you'd be in a booth they'd dim the lights and it sounded like somebody (laughs) was walking through in front of you you're like no somebody's in here I'm sorry please don't yeah I mean, but that's what the entire Sounds Dangerous was yes. based on, right? It was yes. just, uh, you know, the audio effects that now we just take for granted because they're coming out of our, you know, our mobile devices. So. Right, whatever whatever soundboard we have on our on our phone today. Yeah. Um, so what about Animal Kingdom? Was there anything at Animal Kingdom? You know, again, this the, the park opened in 1998. So relatively speaking, it, 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 it hasn't been around very long. And there hasn't been there, there hasn't been a lot that has come and gone, save for a few things here and there. Yeah, and most of them are attractions, really. When it comes to like looking at other pieces that are missing, I couldn't come up with a whole lot. Um, the only thing that I came up with, because and it's one of those things, just because I didn't get to see it, 
was and and truly you couldn't see it without the attraction but i remember there you know the, seeing the the cave where the dragon lived where you were supposed to, when you went around the bend on the discovery river boats or and there was also you know down by uh by Dinoland, there was an Aladar um, animatronic down by the river, and I remember you. Know, I've, I've been able to go back and find pieces of that, but having never or never seen them, or don't remember seeing them myself, I'd love to be able to go back and see those pieces in you know in life again. Yeah, I mean the, the thing that really struck me instantly, and I I have to take it off my list one because it's an attraction, and two because. It is coming back, I think, in a much bigger and grander scale. We're really the the old Discovery Riverboats and the mm-hmm. Radio Disney River Cruise, and and an attraction that never really figured out. It's either it didn't know what it wanted to be, or guests didn't know what it was. And I know yeah. we talked about this a long, long time ago yes. on the show as well. But the fact that now, and this is what excites one of the things that excites me about what is happening over at Disney's Animal Kingdom is not just this world of Pandora and not just the fact that it is going to be what I believe is the park to visit at night, but they are finally going to take advantage of this beautiful river that they have that circles this park and some of the the amazing vistas that you can have, uh, not just on the boat, but on the shores as well. And I think you, yeah. you referenced for a while their... There used to be the dra- – remember they used – there was actually like some uh, – It was, it the was smoke coming out of yeah, the Yeah, the nights yeah. were sort of burnt. They weren't there very long either. They were like, you no. know, <laughs> big red. They didn't, didn't <laughs> right. stay around. Right. Like, uh, oh, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, nope. maybe the burnt nights should not actually be, uh, you know, their <laughs> – Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru on the shores <laughs> of the river should not have, uh, have been there. But the idea of being able to get back onto that river again really, really excites me. So it would have been on my list, but Disney is already um, has already making it happen. Yeah. So and and, and you know and that's one of those pieces that we look at that you know that an attraction. But I think you know, we both love all the different forms of transportation that that's throughout Walt Disney World. So finding an, uh, finding a way to get to bring that back is huge. So what about beyond the parks? Uh, I really tried to think beyond the parks themselves. So mm-hmm. whether it's shopping, dining, entertainment districts, resorts, was there anything outside there that you would like to bring back? Oh, the, the, that, that's a show and that's a list of itself. But <laughs> the couple I know you have on here, so I'm going to leave. But I think if I'm looking at, you know, let's look at downtown Disney, which is, a, you know, or the marketplace as it was and all those things. For me, that you know, that used to be a place where you would go and you could. There was a bakery and there was the butcher and there were you know all these little grocery shops and a, and a flower shop. When it was back, um, when it was the Buena Vista Marketplace, that sense of you could go and for your vacation buy flowers, buy the you know buy your necessities, buy your groceries, and take them home. That that it's almost that back to that charming and quaint thing that we had on Main Street. That you could go and do that and take it to where you were staying and set yourself up for the, for your vacation. That feel to downtown Disney of, of you know it was your shopping district for for the pieces the necessities you needed is is something I miss. So I'm totally with you, and I'm going to separate <laughs> sort of the marketplace versus some of the other sections of, yes. of downtown yep. Disney and Disney Springs because I'm not sure if I want to bring them back. But that actually ties in to something else because all those things that you talked about, right? The butcher shop, the grocery store, the the local places that you would go as if this were your community ties directly into what was once planned. And and I would love, again, the logistics aside of actually figuring out how to do it. But the idea of 
the, the this residential community coming yeah. to the downtown Disney area because that was a thing, right? Back in like yep. mid-73, there were plans to have this area called Lake Buena Vista that was going to have, you know, a golf section and sort of a country club type area and boating and sort of a, a almost a like a Western type area that would have townhouses. And they built a hundred or plus townhomes near the Lake Buena Vista village. The whole idea of it being a place for these local residents to shop without having to go off property. And if you're saying, well, Lou, where, where are these mysterious townhomes? They're still there at a place called Saratoga Springs. That's where these yes. villas and the vacation villas and the fairway villas and the treehouse villas mm-hmm. all were being built. Yeah, and it was, it was going to be this this great community. You were going to have access to golf, access to shopping, water sports, you know, your, your tennis. It, it's going to be a true community that this is where you live, this is where you work, this is where you played, all in one place. Uh, but they are still there, and you know it became part of the Disney Institute. We had the Disney Institute for those people who were coming for kind of an educational vacation, and uh, and so it's it's so there's still pieces of it there. It just never it just never became a place where you could actually live and work and breathe. And you lead me to something else that was on my list that, like you, I never got to see, and I think it might. I think the idea was sound. I think the execution and maybe the marketing might not have been on point, and that was the Disney Institute itself. Uh, it was the idea that while you were going to visit Walt Disney World, were you staying at the villas or not, um, yeah. you can actually go to these institute buildings, and there were maybe 30 or so different programs that you could take part in to get education on anything from animation to cooking to gardening and photography. I remember television. There was a television yep. production uh, where you can sort of um, work, do like news stuff or do, I remember something you could like pretend to do like a Disney Institute TV channel show. There was stuff for kids, for, I think from like five to seven years old and up. Um, there was architecture, um, I think there was like storytelling and puppeteering and painting. Yeah. I mean, it really ran the gamut. And unfortunately, I never got a chance to see it. I wanted to. I wanted Disney to teach me how to draw. I wanted them to teach me about storytelling. I wanted them to teach me about production, right? Video production, yeah. which remember, this is you're, you're talking about what the you know, early 80s, or maybe early nine, mid early 90s. Early 90s, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we couldn't just pop out our phone or our GoPro and create a TV show. So it was so attractive to me. And I think, unfortunately, the idea like, oh, come to Walt Disney World and learn while you're on vacation <laughs> might not have played well. But I think if this was brought back and marketed correctly, I think this would kill I, I think you're absolutely right. I think part of I think part of what its death knell was was that there were too many ideas. There were too many pieces to do. I think with something like this, it was you need to start small in scope and then build out the other options, not the other way around. And I think that may have been part of what part of. That, but, but you know, how many people go to Disney World for a conference now? They they're they're still doing the work and the play piece now. That that this is a part of who we are, and this is a part of who we are as a culture that. I absolutely think it would have a place, and I think you and I would be the first two to sign up for for a multitude of the classes. Um, you know, I think I would love to do. I know they did 
the gardening and they would show you how they did the topiaries and they would let you create your own that you would end up taking home with you. And you know, th there was always something tangible that you would take away with that, you know, besides just a new skill, something that, that reminded you and something that you could show this is work that I created. And look, the Disney Institute lives on in a very different form, right, where they work with businesses and brands and corporations and, and individuals. I mean, they have, you know, professional yeah. development courses. They they bring companies come in and, and pay to go and have business solution created, you know, specifically for them, whether it's about, you know, leadership or engaging employees or, or just excellence in business. Where else would you want to learn other from the people who are the best at what they do? But I would love something that would be accessible to the everyday guest. I mean, look at how popular the add-on experiences are, the, the backstage tours, um, the you know even things like the drawing classes. I mean, imagine having an yeah. animation program where you can go for a day and learn from a Pixar or a hand-drawn animator about computer animation or right. animation production in, in sort of a, a workshop-type environment that's longer than just you know a 20-minute attraction. Absolutely, and you, you could go someplace where you learn about how do they put these attractions together. You know, for for some, it'd be how do they put the story together, the attraction. Together? Where does that idea start? Where is the research point for that? What when do you decide if it's an animatronic, if it's a video, if it's a stage show? You know, how is all that done? And I think there are places for that, for those kinds of lessons to still be new and they're still new for guests who haven't had that experience or who don't have those particular skills to go in and see these things. I mean, look, they, they do that already. I mean, they're, they're still doing yeah. it just under a, a different moniker, right? When you go yeah. to the Flower and Garden Festival, you have clinics on, yep. you know, on, on gardening and designing your, your winter garden or your urban garden. During Food and Wine Festival, you learn about culinary techniques and, and wine yeah. and, and wine appreciation and, and, you know, different cooking demonstrations. So there is obviously an interest for it, but to be able to package it in something that is there all the time that you could sign up for. And think about, we talk about the, the low barrier entry point Mom and the kids love Disney. Maybe dad's not into it. Yeah, but what if you went there and said, Dad, when we go, I, I got you this cool thing. It's a photography program. It's a, right. it's a, it's a program about, you know, business, you know, using customer service in your business. Or maybe you want to learn how to, you know, I don't know, the rock climbing or golf or, or right. you know, animation. Right. You, you know, they have the animal studies programs that happen over at Animal Kingdom that you could go and you could, you know, be on hand, be, you know, get a little bit of a closer eye view of what's happening there when they're feeding the animals, how they set up those things. There's, there's, yeah, the, the ideas are numerous that, that you truly could capture somebody who maybe is that tertiary guest who isn't as interested in, say, going on the attractions or the rides as, as the rest of their family. And think about your kids, right? And Disney has an amazing youth education series program, which, which I promise I will cover on the show in depth at one point. But imagine taking your kids and say that, you know, they start programs as, as young as seven years old, where you could teach them about, uh, let's say you have a, a kid who loves the theatrics and loves the performance and say, okay, yeah. we're going to teach you how to learn to, to sing and dance mm -hmm. and act from Disney, right? From the performers who are right. who you see out there on the parades and who are out there on stage. Maybe you want to learn about creating music, about writing music or music appreciation. Maybe you want to learn about what this show, right? We're talking about the elements of what good show are. are. Mm -hmm. 
puppetry, Imagineering, whatever it might be. Yeah. Especially if, if you come and you're like, oh, man, I got to take my kid out of school. You do something like that and the yep. experience that they're going to have and more importantly, the experience that they're going to bring back. I think sometimes the best education we can give our children is not necessarily, and, and, and understand what I mean by this, it doesn't always have to be confined to the four corners of a classroom. No, some of the greatest lessons you learn are outside of the classroom. You know, it's it's one of those things when, you know, as an educator, I was always looking for the teachable moments. They were the things that weren't on the lesson plans. They were the, the questions that, that children naturally had. And that's what you build in here. Where where are those interests that they're going to eat up everything you say? And you can make it scalable. You know, like we're talking about with the, the child who's in the drama, okay, we're gonna teach you how to sing and how to do some of these acting pieces. And as they get a little bit older into the tens, eleven, twelve, now we're looking at costuming and set design and you know how do you set up lighting and things that they have built up skills as they come back time and again to do or they come back at a different age well think about this think about your kid that says oh man when i grow up i want to be a veterinarian what if you could bring them to animal kingdom right and they can work with the staff at you know uh conservation station going behind the scenes into those rooms where they are working on animals or or have a specific program for them? What if you can take them and have an artist show them how to draw, right? What if you can have some of these different people that they see in, in areas that they want to maybe have interest in and really learn from the people directly at Disney, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's that's the thing. You, you're getting them at, two, at, at an intersection of a place they love and a thing they love. And, and it's going to mean more to them than even if they had found the book on their own or they had found the video or they had found the lesson on their own. Ima- right. So how many kids go, oh, man, I want to do this. I want to I be an Imagineer. I want to I make one of these things. What if you had a program where an Imagineer could take a small group of students and build their, you know, conceptualize their own attraction or build a theme park, understand what the elements of good show are, what the, yeah. say, Next thing you know, you might have a kid that says, hey, you know what? I don't want to be an Imagineer. I want to be an engineer, right? I want to be a yep. mechanical engineer. This is the yep. road that I want to go down and, and what you might be able to introduce kids and potentially adults to as well. Right. I was just thinking when you talk about the Imagineering, where do I sign up for that? <laughs> right. so, and I know we have plenty of friends who would be right there in line with us. Um, but you, you, yeah, you think about all the avenues you could, you could expose them to. That would be so fantastic. It, it, the possibilities are limitless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, you know, and I wonder if something like that would potentially come back, maybe not as a specific destination that you have to go to at at a Disney Institute classroom, but things that would take place, um, not necessarily in a group, you know, maybe you can bring a youth group to go. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm with my kids. These are some of the programs. These are the animation. These are the culinary. These are the, you know, TV photography, you know, programs that might be available to adults and maybe even something adults and kids can do together. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the, we, we still have to think about, okay, it's this age bracket, it's this age bracket, it's this age bracket. Well, how do you bring the whole family together? And that would be another key, key way to get everyone involved. I agree. All right. So uh, sorry for the very tangential. Uh, <laughs> we got really excited. <laughs> I got, yeah, I, I was expi- I'm surprised at how excited I got this idea of, of the educational. Op- and look, this is something I, 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 I you know, we, I think we both do this, right? I mean, I, I speak to uh, students at, you know, grammar and middle and high and, and um, you know, university level students uh, about sort of bringing Disney into the classroom. So bringing the, you know, the bringing the classroom to Disney to the Disney vacation is something that that 
uh, I've always had a great deal of interest in. But what, what about any, anything else? Anything else outside the parks or in the downtown Disney slash village slash springs area? There's a bunch of little pieces here and there. You know, and then I started thinking of where I grew up as a child in Fort Wilderness. Um, I did consider, you know, going, oh, you know, Pop's Place at River Country, because that would mean we'd have to have River But um, the, if there's one thing, and there are things like Marshmallow Marsh and Breakfast with Melvin the Moose, but it's the lawnmower tree, and it just seems like <laughs> such a little thing. It seems like such a little thing, but the lawnmower tree at Fort Wilderness, which was the tree down in the settlement area with you could see the base of an old push lawnmower coming out of it, and at one point you could see a little bit of the handle where the handlebar would come out. And there's a sign. There was a sign next to it, and it was the lawnmower tree, and it talked about Billy uh, Billy Bowlegs had left his lawnmower and slept for too long, and the, it had basically become part of the tree. And over the years, the tree started to overgrow it. They had to they had to cut it to to stop the growth. It began to rot. They had to take the whole thing out. And I have searched high and low for where that sign and where those pieces of that lawnmower went, probably in a dumpster somewhere. Yeah. But that is such a key piece. I can remember going there and, you know, my dad and I getting in a golf cart and driving over just so I could see the lawnmower tree when we were camping. Um, I would love to have that back or I would love to know where those pieces are to hold on to today. I am surprised. I'm not surprised that was on there, um, but I'm. I thought you were going to go with the Fort Wilderness Railway, or should I say, the Frailway? I had it. I, <laughs> you know, I, to me that was like that's an attraction. I can't really. I thought that, but it, I, obviously, if I could bring the railroad back, the railroads come in too. Yeah. So you know, when I went to uh, Village Marketplace downtown Disney. I I wanted to say Pleasure Island, but I actually don't want to bring that back. And what I mean by that is uh, Pleasure Island just, it it suffered from never being able to figure out what it wanted to be. It had no identity. Mm -hmm. It didn't know, was it a place for families to go? Was it a place for young adults to go and drink and party? Was it a place for locals? And it sort of was always trying to evolve and and find out what it wanted to be and and sometimes um it, it was a little um it, it was it was a little I don't want to say rowdier, but it it was definitely not a place you were probably bringing your kids. You weren't going to hang out right. there with your kids. And then all of a sudden you were bringing your kids and it made some of the clubs have a weird feel and vibe to it. Yeah. That being said, I would love to bring back the Comedy Warehouse. And certainly it goes without saying the Adventures Club in some form of fashion, which I do believe in my heart of hearts, it is going to come back in some way. Society of Ex- Explorers and Adventurers, oh, how we love you so. However, I- however... I would bring back Jessica's of Hollywood, not for the merchandise, but just for the sign. <laughs> just for the sign. Just for you the don't si- get enough of it at Castaway K. K- uh, I, uh, I I love me some Jessica Rabbit. Uh, yeah, you and me both. And um, but I think you're right. I think Pleasure Island. I had it on. My, I was looking at it too, and I was like, "What I bring it back?" And I start seeing now what we have with the landing, and you know, with the Adventures Club. I. I would love to have the Adventures Club and Comedy Warehouse come back. And we get bits and pieces of them everywhere. You know, the Comedy Warehouse does a special at Christmas and at the studios or, you know, with the Adventures Club, right, we have the SEA and, you know, we, we see pieces of it in the Gra- Grotto. We see part of it at Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar. You see it so in Hong pieces. Kong. I mean, it's... <laughs> right. It goes on and on. Like, it, it, so it's still there. I, you know, what I'd love to see it come back in one cohesive piece, absolutely. But um, but I think you're right. Pleasure Island never quite knew what it was or what it wanted to be. 
And, and I think now there is an identity forming around these different areas, whether it's the landing, whether it's you know the marketplace, all these different town center of Disney Springs. So I'm interested to see how that plays out and if it does have its identity now. And I will say, um, I, I think, dare I say, I predict... As, as and I and I thought about this when I went to Hong Kong and I started to try and tie pieces together. I'm like, wow, the Society of Explorers and Adventurers has has gone beyond the boundaries of simply the, the confines of the Walt Disney World theme park. Now we're look, seeing it at the resorts. Now we're seeing it overseas. I think we are just seeing the very tip of a much grander scale mm-hmm. of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers that very much will exist outside the four corners of the Disney theme parks. I think you're absolutely right. I think right now there are, I want to say, pieces of bait out there to see how much we're, going, we're willing to bite on, how much we're willing to buy into this story. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's going to be much, much more that, that comes from that. And there are going to be pieces all over the world that tie into it before it's all said and done. And I don't think that those pieces are necessarily going to be restricted to Disney theme parks around the world. Nope. I I would absolutely agree with you. I'm dropping the mic and walking off stage. (laughs) However, before I drop the mic and walk off stage, quickly... In the downtown Disney Resort area, um, I would have, I'd still, man, I would still love to see. Um, I, I want it to be eight tracks. It could be Videopolis. It could be Cage. <laughs> but man, a retro seventies and eighties club back once again would be a uh, a neat thing. I, I think that the retro movement, and it's really scary that the eighties is considered like so old now as opposed to when I was a kid I was like oh the 50s or ages ago Um, and and whether it be a store like yesteryears that was in in downtown Disney or Disneyana collectibles that used to be on Main Street a, a shop that would sell vintage authenticated Disney collectibles Sid Coenga, we miss yep. you so. Yep. Uh, I would love to see something like that because that was one of the things that was neat to see, whether it was in Pleasure Island or was it, whether it was on Main Street where the Exposition Hall is now when they had the Disneyana shop yeah. there. Yeah. Seeing actual collectibles um, that are somehow sourced by Disney and, and, and authenticated by Disney um, that you can get there and maybe the, the, the merchandise rotates and changes all the time would be really neat to see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, those are those pieces that it's always... Those are always the pieces I go in and go, oh, I'd love to have that. Oh, I'm never going to have that much money in my entire life. <laughs> but, or, but there were always those pieces that you could afford, that, that were pieces of things that you, could, that you could love and take home and have a story about. These, this piece that you could go home and say, yes, this is from such and such. And I, I agree. I think there's still a place for that in, in the hearts of many, many Disney enthusiasts. So as we, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else on your, your list or around the resort? There's one. I've been waiting for it to come from you because I, really I, I think like we're <laughs> I think we're sort of holding. You know, this is sort of the ace in the hole. <gasps> would it be the Fiesta Fun Center? <gasps> it would not. But I oh, love you, you missed the Fiesta. I love you so much for saying that. Oh yeah, twenty four hour snack bar, movie theater, arcade. You had, you had me at snack bar. So. <laughs> a shooting, a shooting gallery. The full length of a of a of a wall on the bottom floor of the contemporary. What is not to love? How did I for, leave that off my list? I, I spent so I've many hours and quarters down there. 
so it's where the wave is now, if you're trying yes. to imagine. I mean, but it really, you're right, it really sort of took over almost that entire first floor area back there. And gosh, I mean, it was it was a super game room arcade on steroids. And by steroids, I mean steroids that were decorated in oranges and browns and yellows. Yes. Right. It was, it was that 1970s, you know, they had it on the first floor and then they had it at the top of the, uh, top of the world lounge. It was that, that same brown, orange, yellow color combination. But it was, it was every kid's absolute daydream. Like I, we would, we would just go and my parents would turn us loose and we, they wouldn't see us for hours and we didn't care because we were having the time of our lives. Oh, my gosh. How did I forget that? And, yeah, I mean, look, now arcades are, are – they're, they're small with, you know, five to ten games in amount on, at, uh, at the resorts. But I'd love to see um, a game center like that. Oh, my gosh, come back. And, and so you mentioned something else that was sort of a, a, a codicil to my list. As long as we're at the contemporary and you're going upstairs – Remember the Top of the World Supper Club mm-hmm. where it was a place that you would – it was a destination for dinner. It was a place to go and get dressed up. And, yes, maybe the kids were downstairs playing. But you went there not just for a meal but for entertainment as well. Um, I mean, and look, when you can book Phyllis Diller and Carol Lawrence, I mean, you're, you're talking – this is major and, – and kids, you don't know who any of those people are. But they were like A-list celebrities back in 1977. Yeah, and and they did. They had Broadway at the top, and there was a dinner show, and and it, you did. You had to dress up for dinner, and it was one of the very few places, one of the first places at Disney World, where you had to do that. And it was, it was, it was the cool place to to hang out. They had drinks that were named, you know, monorail purple, monorail red. So you you know you got to find your favorite monorail in cocktail form. And I think the Velvet Fog was. I think Mel Torme uh-huh. might have actually been up there. I believe at he one did. Point. <laughs> And people are Googling right now, Mel Torme, the Velvet <laughs> Fog. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of what it was. It, um, And I don't know, this is such a, I'll go with me here. But when I think about the Top of the World Supper Club, I think about, if you've ever seen the movie The Towering Inferno, everybody up all dressed up, having a nice dinner and dancing at the top with these beautiful views, minus The Towering Inferno itself. That's sort of what I think about when I thought of the Top of the World Supper Club, um, because it had those colors, and I could sort of almost imagine people in their their giant lapeled suits from the late 70s, early 80s. Now everyone's checking Netflix to see if they can watch The Towering Inferno (laughs) and see what you're talking about. Towering Inferno was awesome. It, it was, was in it was in uh, it was in Censoround. Yes, yes <laughs> it was in Censoround. Right. It had uh, oh gosh, I just um, Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Steve McQueen, yeah, yeah, it was one of it was, it was one of Steve McQueen's last movies, I believe, and one of OJ's first. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we digress. Yes. So, um, and the last thing, and dude, this is what I thought you were going to go with. I Let's thought. I thought you were going to close out with, with with your home run, baby, and say, Lou, man, there was nothing. There was nothing at Walt Disney World like Discovery Island slash Treasure Island slash Blackbeard Island. It was the River Country attraction, Fort Wilderness Railroad piece. You know, I'd bring that whole place back. I'd bring Bay Lake back to life bigger and better than ever. <laughs> but to me, I was like, that's an attraction. I, I can't bring it back and, and without you know breaking that cardinal rule, but – Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I and I know I I know for a fact. I think, gosh, back on like show number ninety four, 
we did a DSI about um, Discovery Island. We did, I, I think it was probably like a Wayback Machine we did. Mm-hmm. Because it was very quickly, it was an island that you had to take a boat to. And it had, you know, all kinds of, of live animals on there and bird shows and monkey colonies and... Um, uh, I, I remember the vultures. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't was, remember all the things. But were, I remember the giant were, aviary. I would say there was there were Galapagos tortoise at some at one point. Um, it, it, well, and it started life as Treasure Island, and it truly was just birds for the first couple of years. They, and they would take sick animals. In fact, I had um, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle had um, a bird that actually ended up living at Treasure Island or uh-huh. on uh, Discovery Island. Because they would take injured animals that could no longer be left in the wild. So, yeah, absolutely. I would bring it back in a heartbeat. Yeah, we've talked. If you go back to show 94, 98, whatever it is, you'll, you'll hear us talk about um, what it was and why it closed and how you can still get cl- – don't get too close, but you can still get close to it and see it from um, Fort Wilderness or uh, Wilderness Lodge. And then some rumors about what that island was going to be. And who knows, man, still might be. Uh, there was talks about that becoming – a very sort of exclusive honeymoon type resort. Yeah. Now that you see what they're doing with the with the overwater bungalows yeah. uh, at places like the Polynesian, who knows? Maybe there is still hope for you, Discovery Island. But Ryan P. Wilson, um, we love uh, clearly. We love taking <laughs> our trips down memory lane. Um, I think sometimes we miss more things than uh, than not. But it is always a lot of fun, and I want you, the listener, to tell me what are you wish would return what extinct thing not an attraction do you wish would return to walt disney world as it was the day the day it came there or maybe the day that it left there's a lot of different ways you could let me know i would love i want to hear it man i want to hear the passion in your voice so call the voicemail at 407-900-9391 that's 407-900-wdw1 and say lou and ryan good Gandhi boys, how did you forget about blank? And this is and tell me your story, right? Get choked up, man. Get passionate. I want to hear. You can also tweet me at Lou Mangello. You can also go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, and leave a comment there in the show notes. I and Ryan will uh, will keep an eye on that and respond to you there as well. You can also let me know facebook.com slash Lou Mangello and tweet Ryan too. Uh, Ryan, where can they find you on all of the socials? I am at Maine ST Gazette on Twitter, on Instagram, Matrix Gazette on Facebook. I'm you can find me at any of these places. Awesome. And uh, and dude, uh, clearly there are more uh, Wayback Machines and DSI segments that we have to do. And uh, and I look forward to not just continuing to explore the past, but what the future might hold together at Walt Disney World. Can't wait. I can't believe there was so little food on that list. I, I started looking at like, oh, we didn't mention Odyssey. We didn't mention the farmer's market. We didn't mention, I was like, oh, we screwed up something. <laughs> like, we, we, did, we did this all, start all over again. We did the whole thing <laughs> wrong. There's not enough food on my list. You actually we talked li- about the which is like, yeah, we'll get back to that. And then I totally bypassed <laughs> farmer's market. I'm you like, could have listened, oh, you oh. actually could have listened to this show hungry and been okay. I don't know. We still mentioned enough. We got a, we got a couple pieces in there. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history 
or see how well you pay attention, not just in the details that you see, but sometimes in the details that you hear. If you think you know the answer, you can enter via email for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back review last week's and select our winner. So last week's question was very straight to the point and simple, and it was to tell me where in Walt Disney World can you find the hole in the wall? Congratulations and thanks to all of you who entered and got this one correct and knew that the hole in the wall is it can be found at Raglan Road, the Irish pub and restaurant in Disney Springs. And the hole in the wall is actually one of the two outdoor bars and seating areas they have. This one is located between the restaurant and Cooks of Dublin, which is their quick service location. So I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and again, you were playing for the 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, my audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, the WDW Radio Magic Band cover, and a Hong Kong Disneyland map, and a Hong Kong Disneyland mystery prize from the souvenirs I brought home. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is... Matthew Martin. So, Matthew, congratulations. Please send me an email with your address and I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, we are talking about extinct Walt Disney World, and we didn't talk about any attractions really this week. So, your question this week is, of course, about an extinct attraction. So, tell me, what extinct Walt Disney World attraction welcomed you aboard Bravo 229er? You have until Sunday, April 10th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're playing for my 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio Magic Band cover, and I'll throw in one more Hong Kong Disneyland map. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I want to quickly thank some new members of the WW Radio Nation and family, including the McNamara family, Katie and her parents, Tim Martin and John J. Smith. If you want to help the show and get cool rewards every month that are exclusive to the nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. Find out how you can get monthly scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, personalized magic band covers, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, t-shirts, and lots more. Again, visit www.radio.com support. Please also join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern live on Facebook as I do a live video broadcast and chat. You can ask me anything, play games. Sometimes I broadcast from the parks. Again, follow me over on Facebook at facebook.com slash Turn on notifications, or if you're following me on Twitter, at Lou Mangiello, you can get notified there. I'm also at Lou Mangiello on Instagram and Pinterest and all the other social. And of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So please visit the events page either over on my Facebook page or at www.radio.com. Find about about upcoming meets of the month in Walt Disney World. Our next one is going to be Saturday, April 16th. That is during the Star Wars Dark Side Half Marathon Weekend. That's from 2 to 4 p.m. at the American Adventure Outdoor Seating Area by the Liberty Inn in Epcot. We have other upcoming events in Walt Disney World and on the road. I'll be in Chicago in July. Saturday, June 4th, I'll be speaking at the Ed Camp Magic Conference in Orlando. And in November is our e-ticket adventure on the magic from New York and down to Puerto Rico. I'll have other events, not just in Walt Disney World,
world coming up that I'm really excited to reveal and announce, but other ones on the road as I travel to speak at conferences and to schools and businesses. And if maybe I can come and either help work with you to help you pursue your passion or to come speak at your school or to your business or to your conference, visit loumangelo.com. Quick thanks as always to Mouse Fan Travel, my official and recommended travel provider. Whether you're coming to a Disney destination or any place around the world, Becky and her team of agents can help you all at no cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com and go to celebrationspress.com to get a little bit of Disney magic delivered right to your door or your digital device. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out links to this week's episode or better yet, link them up over on Facebook and share them with your friends there. Better yet, if you can take just 30 seconds and go to iTunes, please rate and review the show there. It's so very helpful, so important, and thanks to you, we have more than 1,100 five-star reviews. You helped us reach number two overall on iTunes. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Lisa Reck, Arch Pez, Fitzer1201, and Maureen's17, who said, over the past year, I've gone back and listened to nearly every single show, and I have to say it's the best she loves the incredible positivity and fun and entertaining that WW Radio brings, and it truly helps to brighten up her morning commutes. Maureen, Fitzer, Archpez, Lisa, you who's listening, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing it with me. I really do appreciate it. Again, you can visit www.radio.com slash iTunes or visit iTunes and search for the show. Rate and review it there. And finally, and most importantly... I, as always, want to thank you so much for taking the time and sharing it with me and spending it with me and emailing me and coming to events and, and sharing with me over on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I appreciate the love and the support and the friendship so, so much. And uh, it is because of you that I do this show and get to do what I do every day. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. And whatever it is that, that you have been thinking about and meaning to do or maybe even just say to somebody Go do it, right? What are you waiting for? Don't wait any more, any any longer, right? Maybe I didn't mean to, to make it this way, but as they used to say in the Carousel of Progress, now is the time, now is the best time to get out there and go do it. And I hope that you have not just an amazing day, an amazing week, but an amazing year and lifetime ahead. And thank you again so, so very much. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Carolyn Norton from New Jersey. Just want to say hi and thank you for all that you do. Um, I thoroughly enjoy all your podcasts. Um, I love tuning into The Box now on Facebook, which is great for me. And I just love your inspirational comments and your overall uh, theme park information. It makes getting by the day-to-day life a lot easier. And boy, do you make me hungry a lot. Um, I did check out the chicken and waffles when I went out to Disney uh, back in September, and they were fantastic. So I have new items to put on my list uh, for the next time I go. Uh, I listen to your latest podcast, and my favorite dragon is Elliot from uh, Pete's Dragon. Um, and I really enjoyed your uh, review of Hong Kong Disney. Really interesting, and I hope I can get there soon. So... Thank you so much, Lou, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.
Bringing home tractors, now you're done. All your spinning's all been spun. Y'all come back now, we'll have more fun at the junkyard. Day.